Welcome to episode 137 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is federal analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic, and I'm going to apologize for the lighting for those of you that are video. I am in my home in Isla Mirada in my bedroom, and I've not been on the beach, although my complexion looks very red. But with that, let's get started with my first topic. So Mike Dano at Light Reading posted an article uh, this past week talking about cybersecurity hacks. Of all the major operators in the U.S., including AT&T, DISH, T-Mobile, and Verizon. And so it's got me thinking there needs to be more done to ensuring security of these new 5G networks. There's no question that 5G brings improvements in encryption over LTE, but that's not getting the job done. T-Mobile has really been in the limelight, but in the article, Mike talks about in January, one of AT&T's vendors was hacked. And there was an exposure of customer data that included social security numbers. Um, Verizon suffered a similar attack and over 7.5 million of their customer personal identifiable information was leaked. DISH's internal IT systems were hacked and T-Mobile has had a couple of different challenges over the last 12 months or so. From my perspective, more needs to be done. Certainly no one's going to be immune from cybersecurity threats. But when it comes right down to it, telecommunications infrastructure is critical infrastructure. It's one of the reasons why Huawei has been put on ice. But I'm wondering, do you have any thoughts here? I do very much, in fact. I do think that there should be more scrutiny put on these operators. And when I say operators, I mean all of them. Yeah. There isn't enough accountability for what they're doing. And if this 5G infrastructure is as critical as so many people have claimed it is, and why Huawei needed to be removed, then we should also be protecting that infrastructure from cyber attack. And it seems like they're constantly finding their ways in, maybe not into the network itself, but if they're able to get access to different identifying information, any kind of breach is a bad thing. And maybe they need to have better security on their consumer side. Hopefully they have better security on the infrastructure side, but it's just not a good look. Doesn't really uh, engender much confidence in these companies' ability to protect their users from hacks, which I think is going to be a, an increasing issue as 5G becomes a more central technology for so many other technologies. And I think that we need to look at how we secure 5G better and hold these companies to a higher standard because if everything's going to be connected, it's going to be the operators that become the weakest link. I agree. And I also focus on enterprise networking, and there's been a lot of trends around integrating security into the networking stack. When you look at SD-WAN and SASE and these sorts of things, I have been talking to AT&T and there's nothing that I can really talk publicly about right now, but they are moving towards that enterprise model of embedding security within the network infrastructure. And certainly AT&T has formidable capabilities with respect to in general with its alien vault acquisition and its overall cybersecurity portfolio. But that's sort of the extent of what I can talk about publicly right now. But I understand that AT&T will be making some announcements later this year. And as soon as that's public, I will definitely be weighing in with my insights. But let's move to your first topic this week. And you want to talk about some coverage updates with some of these operators. 
Yeah, this one's actually more focused on Verizon. Okay. Um, so Verizon this week actually announced that they are reaching 200 million people with their 5G ultra wideband network. As some people might know, actually incorporates both their millimeter wave and their midband network. But because their millimeter wave obviously doesn't propagate very well, mm -hmm. say the vast 99% of this 200 million is thanks to their midband network. So the reason why 200 million is a big number is because that's actually where T-Mobile hit critical mass with their network, really started to gain momentum, adding customers, enabling new use cases. So I've been saying this since T-Mobile hit 200 million back in November of 2021. Basically, having this deployment at 200 million is a really big deal because it creates enough critical mass within the network and with, with developers that they can believe that the network is more likely to be there than not. So it, it's basically two thirds of the time you're going to get this ultra wideband. Mm -hmm. Somebody has lines on all three operators. I can tell you, I am seeing ultra wideband more often than I am not. And the experience is good. It's not maybe as fast as what T-Mobile has. I'm probably seeing more in the range of three to 400 megabits per second, but that's still a vast improvement of where Verizon was a couple years ago. In addition to that, T-Mobile last week announced that they will be hitting 300 million by the end of this and that their non their non midband network which is their low band 600 megahertz network already reaches 325 million Americans so they're almost at 100% 5G coverage but their midband network will be at 300 million by the end of this year so they're also quite far along and then AT&T is a little far behind at 150 million they've last announced if you could correct me but i think they're at 150 yeah so um, growing yeah, they're somewhat behind, but I think they're going to close that gap pretty dramatically in the second half, just based on some conversations that I've had with. Yeah. So, I mean, they also started after Verizon did too, so that makes sense. Yeah. It was just due to the spectrum and their rollout of two different bands simultaneously. But I think we'll have a very clear picture of where everybody is at by the end of this year. And I think by the end of this year, we can actually say that all three operators, in my opinion, are at critical mass. And once all three operators are at critical mass, I think that will actually enable developers and Apple, different companies and enterprises to actually start taking advantage of 5G. That said, I do think standalone is really important. And I think that Verizon and AT&T will both turn on standalone across their whole networks, yeah. probably by the end of this year, as a function of that network build out being big enough that it matters in enough places to actually do standalone. But yeah, that's my analysis of the situation. Yeah, that's spot on. And I'll add one thing because you, you talked about developers. And I'm not sure if I covered this on our Mobile World Congress wrap up. I may have spoken about Open Gateway, which is a GSMA initiative. Yep. So 21 operators are behind it and they're committing to open up their networks from an API perspective to speed 5G innovation, 5G application development. And uh, so I think that should also help because to your point, once once these operators, at least in the U.S., do hit critical mass with their mid-band build out, then obviously mobile's first to SA, Verizon and AT&T won't be too far behind. That really unlocks a true promise. And, and then I think we're going to start seeing some, some pretty innovative applications. I think the majority of them are going to be in the enterprise space. I think I've spoken about that before. I think 90% of the innovation with 5G is going to be transformative for enterprises, but I think we'll see some pretty cool consumer applications as well. But that's a great segue to my second topic, and I want to talk about T-Mobile. 
And apparently Neville Ray was at a Morgan Stanley investor conference this past Tuesday and spoke to the company's fixed wireless access service. Um, I will mention that I have a device coming soon because I have discovered with my new build of my home in Bastrop that there's no fiber service out there. Yeah, the broadband options are not great. You would have thought I would have checked into that before I broke ground, right? <laughs> so I'll actually be testing their FWA service and probably sharing my experience with that in the future. But with that said, one thing came up and it's around capacity. And I wrote an article recently about the fixed wireless access versus fiber debate. One of the things I pointed out about fixed wireless access is that you've got some capacity limitations. And on prior podcasts, I've spoken about this as well. T-Mobile had a very aggressive goal. It was north of 9 million by 2025. They took that projection down to 7 to 8 million. FWA subscribers by 2025. So Neville reinforced that in, at this conference that he, he presented at. And so from my perspective, what's the secret weapon or the secret sauce there? Well, he continued to talk about spectrum and how the company has a complete spectrum footprint at the low band, the mid band, and with millimeter wave. Although its priority has been to first build out that, that low band for coverage. That's been their mantra. And they're quickly building out their their mid-band assets and driving that to standalone as well. And that makes sense to me because you and I have spoken about this before. In the United States, T-Mobile has the most complete spectrum footprint. We like to call it the layer cake. And so he, Neville, even though he will be retiring in October and handing over the reins to Ulf, I can't pronounce his last name, but he's a former Ericsson executive, will be taken over for Neville in October. The company says that it feels very comfortable about its capacity, but what are your thoughts? I think they will eventually transition to using network slicing for these kinds of applications with fixed wireless. I also think they're going to end up using millimeter wave more than they have let on. And I think that will mostly be in urban areas where there's just a lot of customers. And I think what will happen is they'll, they're going to feel out what the capacity demand is in certain areas with fixed wireless and cellular and other applications um, and do as much network slicing as they can. And then once they figure out their actual capacity demand, they can actually deploy millimeter wave in areas where it's necessary. I think that's really the, the difference between T-Mobile's approach and maybe say Verizon or AT&T's is that they're sparingly deploying millimeter wave where they think it's necessary. Yeah. And I think that's going to be how millimeter wave is deployed globally. Uh, the U.S. just went with millimeter wave first, which to their credit was what was available. And maybe they leaned in a little too hard on it. Yeah. But I would say just overall, it's just a it's just a tough it's a tough topic in terms of spectrum. And some companies have less, some companies have more, some companies yeah. have overpaid for it. Some of them got a good deal. But yeah. overall, I think fixed wireless is a great technology. It's really enabling a lot of people to have internet access at faster speeds at lower prices. And ultimately that's what's important. I agree. And I may be the beneficiary of that <laughs> outside of Austin, but hopefully Elon Musk, apparently he's building a little town in Bastrop County. And uh, if anyone can get fiber out there, he will. But no, I'm excited to test out my T-Mobile fixed wireless access service. But with that said, let's go to your second topic this week. And you want to talk about DISH and they've gotten approval to test some low band spectrum. And, but you're thinking, does it make sense for them? 
I yeah, so this, but I'll let you go first. This is testing 800 megahertz, which yeah. is a spectrum that was offered to them to purchase by T-Mobile because T-Mobile had that spectrum and needed to divest from it as right. a result of its merger with Sprint. And it was actually a mandate by the yeah. FTC to do that. Yeah. The issue is that they haven't decided whether or not they want that spectrum, which I understand because they have a lot of 600 megahertz. They were actually the second biggest bidder of 600 megahertz after T-Mobile. So they have a lot of low band already. The, the difference is obviously that 800 megahertz, I think it's something in the ballpark of 13 megahertz, 13 and a half megahertz of spectrum. So it's really not that much spectrum. So it won't really meaningfully improve performance, but it will improve coverage. I guarantee it. 600 is not an infallible spectrum. And there's going to be a lot of places where T-Mobile has 600 that DISH doesn't. So I think 800 could be a good filler spectrum for DISH. I, I can't say that I have enough knowledge of their spectrum holdings in a way to definitively say they don't need 800. There's a lot of people who are saying they don't. But I also think that there's a possibility that 800 could fill a lot of gaps for them where T-Mobile owns 600. So it yeah. is $3.5 billion. So it's not a cheap acquisition for them, yeah. but they will pay a penalty of somewhere in the ballpark of 72 million to T-Mobile and another three or 400 million to the SEC uh, for all the administrative costs and things like that. So I think it may, may actually make sense for them to take this spectrum, even though it's not that much actual bandwidth. I think yeah. it could considerably improve their coverage footprint and allow them to deploy more spectrum in more places. Yeah, that was my thought. They've got these requirements for coverage, right? And low band will help get them there. So that is an expensive price tag, but they may have to bite the bullet and, uh, and move in that direction. But with that said, my third and final topic, I want to talk about some discussions that have been trailing Mobile World Congress 23. And this was a, an article that was on RCR Wireless's website. And there was discussion around, is there an overhype of private 5G wireless? Because enterprise adoption has been slowed around. And I actually weighed in on this on Twitter last week. My theory is that because there are so many different routes to get to private wireless, you can do it as a service, you can do it in a box, there are a number of different vendors that are out there contending for share of wallet. And again, cellular is something new to the enterprise. It's not Wi-Fi. It's not standard routing and switching within the enterprise. And so from my perspective, because there's so many different routes to market, that's creating some hesitation, maybe not confusion, but just I think enterprises are having to take more time to evaluate the different options. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. I tend to believe that if there's buzz about something, it's probably overhyped. The question is, how overhyped is it? Yeah. And I don't think private wireless is as overhyped as people want to say it is, mostly because it's the quickest point of ROI for deploying 5G. And it does solve a lot of problems that Wi-Fi and other types of wireless communication can't do, or even wired for that matter. So I do think there's a lot of great applications. To your point, I think there's also a lot of different routes to achieve it. Yeah. But ultimately, I think having these types of choices are good. But I also believe that enterprises don't really care how they get it. I think ultimately, like a consumer, they want to get connectivity 
to solve their problem and they don't necessarily care which route they take as long as it's cost effective and secure and reliable. I think those are the key components of delivering private wireless, but overall there needs to be a little bit of consolidation perhaps or a little bit more of trial and error where certain solutions fail while others succeed. And I think that's just going to be natural selection within our industry and it'll just take some time. Yeah. I mean, it's still very early days. And so there's, from my perspective, no cause for concern. Just enterprises are going to take their time. And also really where private wireless shines is an OT environment. So operational technology environments, manufacturing, transportation, and logistics. These are areas that you can't easily do a forklift and rip and replace. And some you could argue that some of those environments are not connected today or they're in a mis mishmash. These are mission critical operations within enterprises. And so there's going to be a lot of evaluation there. So I think time, it'll just take some time, but private wireless is going to be extremely disruptive on a number of different fronts. And over the years, we've talked about that. But so with that, let's talk about your third and final topic. And oh my gosh, here it is again, the C-band airline issue. And you want to talk about another CC update. Yeah, so the FCC, actually there's two things that are going on. One, the FCC has lost its authority to auction spectrum because its authority has lapsed essentially. And that authority also needs to be reauthorized by the Senate. And basically there's a standoff in the Senate between the two parties. And part of it is also they've the FCC still doesn't have a fifth member to break ties because there have been some political issues with the candidate that the Biden administration put forward. And <clears throat> on top of that, there was an article that was written for the IATA Airlines blog and they basically said mixed signals lead to 5G confusion, which means that we still haven't solved this airline issue and that there are things that need to be reached. And one of those is the July deadline where the operators will start to increase their power levels near airports. And there's still a lot of, there's a lot of issues with altimeters still need to be being replaced. Apparently, the FAA didn't include foreign carriers in their 5G industry roundtables. But what's interesting is that in other countries, these issues haven't been as big of a problem. And some of these countries deployed midway mid-band 5G first. So yeah. they've actually had resolved these issues a long time ago. Apparently, only Laos has joined the U.S. raising concern about mid-band. And Canada has limited 5G transmission power. But it's very interesting to see how these things operate and what the issues might be. I can tell that the, this article was a little bit, I don't know how to put it, a little problematic in the way it was written. Mm -hmm. It talks about how European 5G spectrum is 3.4 to 3.8, but that's essentially the same spectrum that we're using in the US for mid-band as well. Mm -hmm. Act as if the issue is in the higher band of 3 gigahertz, even though that spectrum won't even be available or deployed for till next year, I believe. So I think this is once again, an airline industry publication may be taking too much of a side with the airline industry. Shocker. Yeah, Just right. like you and I would be accused of being too friendly to the operators. But I have the knowledge uh, that the spectrum that they're complaining about, that's supposedly close to what's being used for altimeters, isn't actually even in use yet. 
So I'm tired of this topic, but it keeps propping up its ugly head. And a lot of these people try to talk about 5G as a threat to security, but they like don't even have their act together about like spectrum and knowing what's available. So I'm just tired. I just, you know, I think there's just, there's a lack of depth of knowledge with certainly not the FCC, but the, the FAA. And it's just, they're lobbying us back and forth over the fence. And it's just a complete clown show. Someone needs to step in and address this issue. And it's just, it, it seems like it's just government bureaucracy run amok. But yeah. It's, yeah. And it's, it's interesting because like, in this article, they claim that the FAA has logged 100 instances of possible interference with the radio altimeters. Yeah. Although none of them have resisted, resulted in an incident or an accident, but there's no actual log of these that I've seen or shown. And I think that these might be older aircraft that need to be upgraded. So it's why aren't they just upgrading the equipment? Yeah, no, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I think we need to have a guest from the FAA and the FCC on a future podcast to try to resolve this once and for all. But anyway, my friend, it's been another great podcast. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Tontek and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week and don't forget to rate us and subscribe. Subscribe. Thank you.